0: Yeah. No, it's really interesting. And and even as a a patient, when I was a patient, I was scared of fiber. I think that it has this scary feeling because, you know, you're nervous about floating and you're nervous about gas and you're nervous about kind of enacting those symptoms that you don't want. And I think that comes back to the restriction when we take it out for so long, we're going to have those reactions. So...
1: Welcome to the daily dietitian podcast. I am your host Stacey Mitchell. I am so happy to have you here. My goal for this podcast is to break down the latest health topics and help clear the clutter in the messy world of nutrition and fitness. We hope to inspire, educate, and entertain all things wellness. Join us as we talk with experts in their fields on how to feel our best in our own body and mind. hey there thank you for joining us this week we just can't stop talking about gut health right because there is so much out there products marketed to be the solution to your gut trouble or programs that follow really strict guidelines but those are not getting to the root of the cause and with those high-priced supplements they might be more harmful than good Today, we talk with registered dietitian Toobie. That's right, she's in training. She's still in the education process while gaining on-hands experience in the field and will soon pass her boards to BARD. Our guest, Jacqueline, also known on social media as Gentle Gut Nutrition, has her own story to share while graduating college with a finance degree and then switch career paths when dealing with her own gut issues now becoming a registered dietitian. Jacqueline focuses on irritable bowel syndrome and small intestine bacterial overgrowth and helps her audience find products and lifestyle habits that help relieve these symptoms. We talk a lot about fiber, including the best go-to sources, easy snack options, and so much more. Join us for this conversation. Well, Jacqueline, it is so great to have you here on the show with us. Will you introduce yourself and tell
0: everyone who you are and what you do? Absolutely. Um, My name is Jacqueline. I'm an RD2B and I'm currently in the digestive space. So I work with individuals who struggle with IBS or CISO on lifestyle habits to help manage their symptoms. Incorporate food without fear, as well as understanding the low FODMAP diet in a more gentle approach. So that's why my page is Gentle Guts. I think that gut health can get a little confusing and the messaging can be a little overwhelming on social media these days. So I like to take a gentler approach and let people know that gut health is not as overwhelming as it seems online.
1: Yes. And gut health is a hot topic for sure. You hear leaky gut and different GI issues. Are you finding that this is a popular need for for people?
0: Absolutely. I feel like the gut health is being associated with green powders, probiotics, diets like the carnivore diet, and then low-fat map kind of gets taken all the way over here where it's kind of being made into something that it wasn't originally supposed to be. So I think it just gets very jumbled. And I think when people either become diagnosed with SIBO or IBS, they come into this gut health world and it's very confusing. So I really try to simplify the messaging and talk about lifestyle habits with food, but not solely on food. I think food is made as the majority. How can we restrict food when it really is more? What can we add that I like to focus on? Yes.
1: Now, you caught my attention when you said something about the carnivore diet because I've been hearing more people latch on to that. Uh, what is why is there a connection with the carnivore diet and gut health? Like to me it seems that they're lacking the fiber and scientifically that doesn't make sense, but why are people going towards that?
0: <laughs> yeah, I have been wondering the same okay, thing. Okay. So, and what I what I've come to is I we know that meat is a little easier to digest. So I'm assuming that carnivore diet feels better for these patients. You know, who just, you go, you go all around and around. I've struggled with SIBO personally, and you start to feel really frustrated with your symptoms, and I think you're just looking for anything that works. And I do remember that meats were easier to digest versus vegetables and fruits because we typically eat those in a raw form. Versus we can actually eat them in a cooked form, but sometimes people will go for the raw form. So instead of going towards their fruits and vegetables, they go to meat. And I think that sometimes we take it to an extreme, but it is absolutely correct that fiber is what we need for our gut microbiome to be healthy and for our guts to be healthy. So it is not supported from what I understand. It's kind of our diet not supported, and I think all dieticians can agree <laughs> with that.
1: Thank you for clearing that up, and sorry to throw that on you right there, but just in no, the last no. last week, I've had a client mention it, a friend mention it, I have a friend, and I even saw her friend shopping, and she just had all this all these meat products, and I, I don't know, I was kind of shocked that we are deleting fruits and vegetables in
0: the diet, so anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's really interesting. And, and even as a, a patient, when I was a patient, I was scared of fiber. I think that it has okay. this scary feeling because, you know, you're nervous about floating and you're nervous about gas and you're nervous about kind of enacting those symptoms that you don't want. And I think that comes back to the restriction when we take it out for so long, we're going to have those reactions. So... That's why I, th- I also think with um low FODMAP diet, it can feel very restrictive because you typically get handed this red or green yes or no list versus saying, oh no, you can have half a serving. You can have a fourth of a serving. And then I think all of that kind of gets jumbled into let's just eat meat. <laughs> so sure. it's, good for, it's good to incorporate it, but maybe not for everything.
1: Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks for clearing that up. Now, you were mentioning <laughs> that you... Um, we're struggling with the SIBO as well?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. So I, I had SIBO back a couple of years ago when it was even less known than it is today. And um, so I got to firsthand experience with the wheel of going through gastroenterologists and nutritionists who maybe may or not were dietitians who had experience in that area. And I think that the messaging essentially was restrict. It was to take foods out. It was to focus on, at one point, I think I had like 20 foods that were out of my diet that were all triggers for me. And I was not introducing them. I was not um, kind of told about the rechallenging stage. Of the low FODMAP diet. And I did my Monash University FODMAP certification and had found out that that was not how it was supposed to be done and those foods were supposed to come back in. And I think the message that I got and some patients get is stay on this diet for as long as you can until you feel better. And they're not really given that instruction. So it is, that was my big area in going into the GI space because I feel like there, I felt very lost. I think there's a lot of people who feel very lost and don't have the hope to feel better. So it's just constantly looking for that next thing, which is where kind of the marketing, as you've seen of all these bloat products have really kind of increased. And I think that I was one of those people and there's many people who just want to feel better. And I think that's where all these products and all this hype comes from. It's just wanting to feel better, but not really knowing and getting the guidance on how to do it.
1: Right. And you also mentioned like greens powders and and probiotics and those supplements, are those really helpful for someone who is struggling with these symptoms?
0: Yeah, it's a big topic. It's a big topic that I like to talk about. And the green powders... um, I, I get nervous with them, especially with the IBS, SIBO population, because a lot of them will contain things that actually can be quite irritating. So you have you know, stevia, which on itself is fine, but for those with IBS and SIBO may be irritating. And then you typically have unknown strains of probiotics in these supplements that we don't really know if they're going to be beneficial for this condition. And overall, they're quite expensive too, so it's, over, it's not really helping and they're not really backed by evidence. So I I don't really recommend the green powders and the probiotics. I think that we have some research that they will one day be very helpful. But we don't have enough to support a specific strain or dose. So I think currently it depends on the person and the individual and the doctor that they're working with that maybe it might be beneficial to work with a probiotic, but I wouldn't say that everyone would be a probiotic.
1: That is a wonderful answer, and I agree with that, a thousand percent on that. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen Abby Sharp on YouTube, but I have (laughs) recently, just like in the last week. And so every time I click, I open up YouTube, there's some video that I want to see, and then I sit there for like a half an hour, and I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) I just go down this rabbit hole. But she was talking about the green powders, and she also mentioned how um, everything what you said within there, uh, how some of those ingredients in the green powders can be irritants and make the symptoms worse so yes yeah
0: yeah and it also typically you're not getting the fiber content that you would get by eating the greens and the foods. and so it it, overall I think it's not really a necessary product for most people but definitely with people with IBS and SIBO and it's it's frustrating because they do get marketed for bloating and for all the keywords that we're looking for when we want to feel better so that's my biggest I really like making um content around um breaking down nutrition myths and confusion around products because I think it can be very overwhelming to be a consumer in the gut health space currently
1: it totally is um this is kind of off topic but this morning my daughter was watching bluey and one of the characters (laughs) on there this is how you know diet culture and Food allergies are getting into our kids' vocabulary, but one of the characters could not have no sugar, no dairy, and no gluten. And i and like me, <laughs> a couple years ago,
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, and, that's crazy. And
1: she just thought, why sugar? And I told her, well, there's natural sugars too. So, um, again, debunking those myths on what people think is what to follow. It gets
0: hard. Yeah, no, it is those, and and that's, it's frustrating to hear it at such a young age, but that's, like, the reality for so many of the IBSC books, is they have this, like, laundry list of restrictions, and those, I feel like, are the most common three that you hear.
1: Right, and I thought for a young kid to have to restrict all that, that's a lot for them to tackle, (laughs) overwhelming, like, they don't even know what some of that
0: stuff is. (laughs) No, that is... Super, super
1: frustrating. Off topic, but I, I thought it's it was worth mentioning just because it is yeah. uh, in the media so much. Um, now you mm-hmm. said you're an RD2B, so you are in you are studying right at the moment. Who are the clients that you are able to help right now?
0: Yes. Um so I'm working with um, IBS and people who have IBS and SIBO who have been diagnosed by their provider that they have these conditions. And working on lifestyle habits to reduce symptoms is really a big focus that I'm looking at. So looking at meal hygiene, looking at how we can support the gut-brain connection through diaphragmatic freezing and stress management and sleep, and then looking more towards that food component, how can we incorporate food without fear. As we know, we're looking at that stress component. If we're really restricting, it's going to cause stress around food that's actually going to contribute potentially more to your symptoms than the food itself. And then looking at the gentle low FODMAP approach. So I was Manash FODMAP certified. I did that certification and I really was able to learn a lot about the gentle low FODMAP approach, which I think is an approach that should be talked about. Um, I also had had disordered eating in the past and it was not screened for when I was given the low. FODMAP diet and it does not typically seem to be screened in this population so working with a gentle low FODMAP approach it's more of a looking at those really high trigger foods and it can be more appropriate with somebody um, who may have a history of disordered eating or potentially looking at other non-food related um, habits that we can work on so that's kind of my space that I look at and as I become an RD, I'm hoping to expand that a little bit more.
1: I love that you you're getting a head start already. It's fantastic. <laughs> I love the area so much. That's why I was
0: really excited to start everything.
1: Yes. When you mention disordered eating and you're also taking this gentle approach, with the when I think of gentle nutrition, I think of the principle that comes from the intuitive eating. But you kind of have a double duty Uh, within the gentle nutrition within there, but explain a little bit if someone does have disordered eating and what does gentle nutrition mean in the intuitive eating principle?
0: Yes. So gentle nutrition, um, we're looking at kind of the addition, so nutrition by addition, what can we add to foods? What can we slowly incorporate to not feel as so overwhelming? Because we know that there is a big link between disordered eating and GI disorders. Um, we're looking at the disordered eating is shown to have an impact on motility, shown to have an impact on the symptoms that can, that can happen with these GI disorders. Um, so working on slowly incorporating fiber-rich foods, slowly rechallenging foods that may have been restricted for long periods of time and doing that either bite by bite or doing that fourth of a portion to half a portion, really taking it very slow and just looking at a more gentle approach versus this like zero to a hundred approach, feeling like we have to incorporate everything again, or we have to restrict everything again. I think that's typically the messaging that's given is when you go on the low FODMAP diet, you have to like take out everything all at once. And I just think that it's not the most appropriate approach for everybody, especially with somebody who's had disordered eating. We want to reduce the stress around food not increase the stress around food yes
1: um what's a common message that you have to have to keep repeating to your to your
0: clients and your audience i feel like the biggest message that i am repeating is that gut health is simpler than you think I think it's a big message. And I find that everyone is just feeling like, oh, I have to have a probiotic. I have to have this screen thing. I have to have three meals a day. I have to intermittent fast. I have to, there's so many things that everybody is wanting to do all in one day. And I think that we really need to go down to basics to start with gut health. We need to make sure we're eating enough. We need to make sure that we're having balanced meals that have a source of fiber, that have protein, that have fat. And then just making sure that we're hydrating and sleeping and managing stress. It's less about how many products and how long we can go without food. And it's more into what foods do we enjoy? How can we add some fiber to them? How do we find the foods that make us feel the best? So I find that that's the most, it's, it's almost decreasing the stress and trying to Almost dismantle a lot of the gut health diet culture. I almost think diet culture has a subset now of gut health diet culture, and dismantling that idea is a big message that I've been working with.
1: Totally, it does. You're 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 right in that in that aspect, and that's uh, where you know people get more scared on certain foods and more restrictive. It's that aspect in, in there too. Um, What are some of your favorite recommendations for adding fiber to someone's diet?
0: Yes. Um, So I think that starting at breakfast, I think we always say breakfast is the most important meal of the day. I always say that just adding handfuls really make a difference. They add up. So adding a handful of spinach to your eggs in the morning. If you like smoothies, adding a handful of spinach or a fruit to your smoothie, just adding one thing for breakfast, adding one source of fiber for breakfast, and then kind of looking at your snack. You know, if you normally have a piece of cheese, maybe adding a couple crackers or a couple baby carrots to that snack. I think that that 21 to 25 grams of fiber per day for females feels really overwhelming when you look at it. But when you start to actually break it down and look at, oh, if I add something at breakfast and not adding it all at one meal, but then adding it kind of throughout the day can help a lot. I also think there is, no shame in fiber supplements if somebody feels like they're really not getting something. Like I always am, food first versus supplementation. But there are some really great brands. I know Sunfiber is a um, brand that a lot of IBS, um, SIBO dietitians will work with to add a little bit of fiber into the day. And I think that if you know if that reduces the stress around food, I'm all for that approach as well.
1: Yes, you t- also talk about prebiotics on your page explain what that is because yeah. I think some people may think oh is that a probiotic no it's a prebiotic so what is a prebiotic Pre- yeah
0: prebiotic is the um it's essentially the fuel for your gut microbes to help them kind of thrive so that's when we're looking at fiber you hear me talk about fiber all the time every day my family and friends hear me talk about fiber all <laughs> we talk about fiber that's the prebiotics are in the fiber so that's why there is such a focus on that that's going to help your gut microbes grow, thrive, and that's going to help you to have a healthy gut microbiome. So rather than taking the pill as we normally think of for probiotics, that's kind of what everyone thinks of. We're looking more to the food for the prebiotics and they're almost more important, if not equally important, when we're looking at um, the gut health overall.
1: Yes. I think fiber is just so underrated for any disease state. And Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know the exact science or the statistics on it, but I always say the number one missing ingredient in your diet is fiber. Cause we just don't get enough of it. So, uh,
0: <laughs> I completely, completely agree. And, Um, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but one of my favorite um, videos that I've been making recently is I do these quick fiber-rich snack box ideas. Okay. So they're for all to go, because we're getting into the summertime, and I know that everyone's like running around, and fiber isn't maybe the number one priority on everyone's list right right now, but making these go-to snack boxes – I started making them because I actually travel quite a bit. So I started making snack boxes to go. And when I was making them, I was like, wow, I'm actually incorporating quite a bit of fiber. So I started filming them. And it's been really helpful to see. The other day I made a snack box and it was 12 grams. And I was like, wow, that's almost half my, its not more than half my fiber for the day. And so it's starting to, I think people are really help. visuals really help people to uh, visualize how much fiber they need during the day. So that's why I really like to make these videos to show this is what 10 grams of fiber looks like. This is what 15 grams of fiber looks like. And it's not as overwhelming as you may think.
1: Right. And finding those foods that you might not have thought have, you know, five to seven grams of fiber, you're like, wow, uh, I'm always shocked at blackberries. That's a huge source
0: of fiber. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That is a really, really good one. And yeah, you start realizing that some of the foods you eat on a daily basis actually have quite a bit of fiber. So it's very exciting.
1: Right. Um, Do you recommend anything with chia seeds or flaxseed or does that cause some irritants when starting out?
0: Um, I, in my personal experience, I have not seen too many um, people have irritants with chia and hemp and flax seeds. Um, I find that hemp seeds are the ones that people really gravitate towards quite a bit um, for whatever reason. They seem, I think they're very easy to incorporate. Um, you can throw them on salads, you can throw them on smoothie bowls, you can throw them in almost anything. And it really does add up that fiber quite quick. We know that it has quite a bit of fiber, as well as those chia seeds. So I find that um, everyone's tolerance level is really unique and different. So just testing out different amounts, you know, if the chia seeds, potentially could bother someone. Maybe they can do half of it, but overall, I think it's a really great way just to throw on some fiber on a daily basis. And with real food too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really quick. And yeah, I'm definitely, let's go for food first, always looking at the dietitian way. And I think that chia seeds, and um, I know that I've been really into kiwis. I've been recommending quite a bit of kiwis, because um, there was a study recently that showed two kiwis a day were really helpful for um, IBS-C, for constipation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really helpful recommendation. And it's pretty quick. You can eat them on the go. So I've been recommending quite a bit of kiwi as well.
1: My, my daughter cut up a bedtime snack. And she had two kiwis. And she wanted me to cut it in half. And I said, do you want me to keep cutting up? She's like, no, just like that. And she just really enjoyed scooping it out. I didn't – I. I didn't teach her that or tell her that, but I just thought that was so cute.
0: <laughs> that is so cute. No, and um, I was eating a kiwi the other day and my sister was across the table and I she looked at me like I was crazy because I actually ate it with the skin because you can eat them with the skin. And she's like, you've been into that like it was an apple. <laughs> I was like, it could be. We can treat it like an apple Yeah, it's really good for you.
1: Yeah. yep. Um, I've done that with uh, putting it in a smoothie. I have not yet Eight, I don't think, or I think I've tried it and it was like, oh, it's okay, but yeah, it's I think texture. it's texture. Yeah, I can
0: see the texture um, be a little interesting for people, but either way, even without the skin, still a good one.
1: Have you tried golden kiwi? I have not. Oh, I have not. Okay, that's like a whole new uh, flavor component with that. It's uh, smooth, I mean, it's, it's, it's not acetic, it's almost a little bit sweeter. Uh, It's definitely a favorite in our house, but I have not
0: been able to find them in the grocery store lately. So. I want to do that. I did try recently. This is a trend on TikTok that I saw for quite a couple of weeks was the yellow dragon fruit. Have you seen that? No. That was, it's like, I might get getting the name wrong. I'm not sure if it's a yellow dragon fruit or a golden dragon fruit, but it's the pink one that everyone thinks of. It's the yellow version. And I got it just because I was, oh, a new fruit and I was eating it and it was really good. And then all of a sudden on TikTok, people were eating two a day to go to detox, to go to the bathroom. And I don't recommend that. If anyone's listening, I don't recommend eating that many because it's it's quite a bit of fiber, I believe, at one time for maybe someone who isn't used to that amount of fiber and wouldn't suggest it per se. (laughs) The (laughs) flavor. was good, though.
1: Maybe do one. Maybe do one. I think that'd be kind of expensive because they're not cheap and easy to find either. No. Yeah.
0: No, and there's other ways to go to the bathroom. Right. So we don't have that many.
1: Um, w- when talking about other types of foods, what are some other of your favorite additions? I see your pack a high fiber snack box for travel on your Instagram page. That is such a great idea. Um, what are your favorite additions when you are doing those videos?
0: Yeah, I am definitely a big cheese and crackers person. Um, but I do and I think it's a really good combo. Um, obviously, you get your protein, your are faster carb, you're good to go hunger crushing combo as Abby Sharp would say. Um, and I find with um, crackers, there's quite a bit of high fiber crackers that are actually FODMAP friendly. I like to say FODMAP friendly instead of low FODMAP because not everybody is on the restrictive elimination part of the low FODMAP diet. So there are a lot of high fiber crackers in the grocery store. I know that Crunchmaster has some great high fiber crackers. Mary's on crackers has some great ones. And I find that that's a really easy way to just up your fiber intake is through the crackers that you're eating. Um, And then on um, obviously raw vegetables, if you can tolerate raw vegetables, um, I find that carrots and cucumbers are a really easy addition. I have those on my page. Blueberries, whatever berry you have. Um, I've done peppers before. Um, peppers with like Greek yogurt dip is an easy way to get some fiber in. Um, so, those are really good ways. And then um, there are quite a bit a, of granola bars as well that I'll pair with these boxes that can easily up the fiber intake. I know that um, Odie Foods has a really great bar that has some fiber in it. Um, and there are a bunch of other brands that I believe I have on my page that I can't think of right awesome. now. But there are really great ones that usually I try to look for the whole grain, you know, to try to get oats in there, looking for any other puffed grains that are in these bars that will kind of up the fiber intake. Um,
1: any other uh, popular reels or posts that have resonated with your audience?
0: Yeah, the, the biggest one I've noticed is um, I started going into some popular grocery stores to find some FODMAP-friendly items just to kind of help people when they're going through those first two stages or just to help them find items that maybe. Would agree with them, their digestive condition a little bit more. Um, So looking for, I went to Target, I went to Walmart. I looked a little bit like a crazy person going through the aisles and and filming all the products, but I think it was really helpful. And I found that it really resonated. The Trader Joe's one really resonated with people just to find some products that um, didn't have garlic and onion in them that would help them throughout the week that were simple to make for some quick meals. So I find that those reels really resonated with people and I would have really used. Would have been happy to have those when I was going through it. So that's how I try to look at it as well. Would would it? But would it have been helpful for me when I was going through my flare ups? So I think that that really resonated, and the quick fiber snack boxes really seem to resonate with people as well.
1: Yes, people need the answers, the go tos. What's going to make their life easier? And I used to be a retail dietitian, so that was like my favorite thing to do is a grocery store tour and just walk with them and talk about the product. And sometimes I would just have it in my hand and they'd be like, okay, yes. And they'd put it right in their cart because they trusted me with uh, recommending certain products that would fit for their dietary needs.
0: Yeah. And that, yeah, I definitely like to help with that because I think also that um a lot of um, these, I feel like in the gut health space, you feel the need to make a lot of your stuff from scratch or to make very specific prepared foods. And I think it's very, very difficult to keep up with that during the week. I think it's a little unrealistic. So going into the grocery stores and trying to find a mix of obviously going to your fruits and vegetables, but then finding those convenience foods that are really beneficial. I was trying to think of that when I did those videos because I was in college when I was dealing with my digestive issues and there was no way that I was going to be able to do everything from scratch. So I think that um, finding those quick convenience foods is helpful.
1: Right. As much as I like to think I'll do that, when it really comes down to it, it's either I don't have time or I, I'm i too tired to make it or I don't have mm-hmm. all the ingredients and basically it comes down, I don't have
0: enough time and I don't want to do it. So <laughs> and it's, it's very, it's, it's very hard. Sometimes you can have, like, I'll make some recipe videos on my page where then maybe they take a little more time and uh-huh. it's nice to have that, like self-care moments, but it's sure. not for every day. Oh, so yes. it's just, yeah.
1: I get you on that. No. <laughs> um, where can people find and
0: connect with you? Yeah. So I am mostly on Instagram. I'm at Gut Nutrition on Instagram. That's where most of my content lives. I'm looking into the TikTok community. I'm looking into over there. So you might see me over there a little bit more, but I'm generally on um, Instagram. I like to do a lot of polls, a lot of questions. I really like to interact with people. So anyone who wants to come say hi and talk about anything related to GI, we talk about it all. I would love to connect. And it looks like you have a free
1: ebook, Five Steps to
0: Starting Food Freedom. Mm
1: -hmm. Wonderful services or programs that you have to help clients.
0: I do offer one-on-one coaching services to work on those lifestyle habits to learn to incorporate food without fear and to look at a gentle low FODMAP approach. Um, But I was a college student when I was struggling with SIBO, so it's really important for me to have resources available to everybody. So that's why I did make the five steps to starting food freedom. And then I also have a three-day meal guide for gentle low FODMAP, which has a lot of recipes that take out those higher FODMAP ingredients, um, but still keep a pretty diverse diet. And um, I think it's a little more suitable for everybody. So I have those two, and I'm planning on working on a couple more. And I usually do polls to get an idea of what people want. So if people want to connect, you can kind of vote on what I'm going to work on next. Um, But those are the services I offer.
1: I love it. Uh, Extremely helpful and realistic approach. Do you have any last takeaways before we close?
0: Yep. So I, I just remember wanting to feel better when I had GI issues. And so I understand how overwhelming it can be online. I know what it was like, and I really want to offer as many tips for IBS and SIBO as I possibly can. So, but in an evidence-based way, because we know how overwhelming it can be. So I hope to help people with that. And I would love to connect with anybody.
1: Thank you so much. Your information is fantastic and keep on doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. Nutrition can be confusing, and that is one of my pet peeves with it. I want it black and white. (laughs) But it's not all that simple, especially when it comes to gut health and diets. But with Jacqueline's personal experience and her passion, she really helps break down the steps and understands what her clients are going through. So be sure to go and follow her at Gentle Gut Nutrition on Instagram for more simple nutrition ideas and lifestyle habits. I want to thank you so much for spending your time here with us on the Daily Dietitian Podcast.